Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. So this morning, uh, especially if you're uh, visiting with us this morning, uh, welcome. Uh, so glad you're here. Uh, as, as always, we, we hope that Westminster can be a place where uh, you can come and hear the truth claims of Jesus and uh, hear the gospel and be refreshed and revived. Um, you're catching us, we're, what, 40 sermons into a series on Luke, and last week we started Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. So we're learning what, is it, what does it mean to pray like a Christian, uh, specifically like a Christian. Uh, we're in the section that just prior to this, one of Jesus' disciples said, uh, Lord, teach us to pray like you taught uh, John, or like John's disciples taught them. How do we talk to God? And aren't we so glad that that question was asked because here we are 2,000 years later hearing what Jesus said. Jesus took the occasion to give us something utterly revolutionary. You know, as we said last week, uh, this is a divinely sourced prayer, which means this isn't just some random preacher who uh, is just telling you the best way that they think for you to talk to God. But rather, this is God himself teaching us how to talk to God himself. And what we're going to find as we continue to go through this is that praying is a little different than we thought. So Jesus, he's got no intention of trying to teach us how to pray like a superstitious person. He has no intention of giving us a strict formula. He has no intention of giving us these magical Christian words. But what he's doing here is he's giving us a pattern of true prayer. And this is what it means to pray like a Christian. And as we found last week, this is what it is for someone who is a child of God, who sees God as their father, to pray. And so with that, uh, let's hear God's word again, and we'll dive in. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your spirit would also come and meet us where we are, open up our hearts so that we can hear this revolutionary teaching. Our Lord, teach us, show us that like, this isn't like a lecture, this isn't a TED talk, this isn't, uh, this isn't a seminar, but Lord, help us to receive your word through your spirit, and we ask this in Christ. Amen. So this, this morning, Jesus is teaching us um, possibly one of the main reasons uh, why our prayer lives struggle so much. Uh, that there's a reason why our prayers grow so cold and stagnant. 
Because unfortunately, what Jesus is teaching, I would argue, is not often modeled. So let's just for a second pretend like praying is like a new concept for you. Like you don't, you don't even know how to pray. Just pretend like, teach me how to pray. Um, how easy would it be to listen to the prayers of others around us and draw the conclusion that, well, well obviously praying, it, it must have something to do with just going to God for the stuff that we want, right? Or the stuff that we need. That, that, that prayer is really kind of about us. And not knocking this, but most prayer meetings at churches, and we've all seen this, we see it every week, um, most prayer meetings at churches turn into laundry list of health issues, right? It's, uh, we, we, we spend all of our time praying for people in need. And, and now, before we discount that, later in our prayer, Jesus is going to teach us that it's totally appropriate to ask God for help. But notice that where we spend like, all of our prayer life, it's not where Jesus starts, uh, nor is it the posture in which true prayer flows. Uh, Jesus tells us that true prayer, uh, that prayer that just flows out of us, uh, isn't about us, that it's about God. That He says that true prayer <laughs> begins with, oh yeah, oh God. Right? And so the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, the starting posture in which all other true prayer comes is that God's name would be hallowed, hallowed, um, which begs the question, and this is our first point, like, what does that even mean, right? What does that mean? Well, a hallow is a really old word, which is used to set something apart. It's, it's, it's called holy. It's, it's different. To which, you know, we may think, but, but I, I thought God was holy, right? Why do we need to pray for God to be more holy, I guess? And you know, it's, we can wonder, like, is God the such that he needs like a pep talk where we start off our prayers saying something like, God, you is kind, and you is smart, and you is important. Go God, right? <laughs> God is already infinitely and perfectly holy. Right? So this prayer, this isn't asking for God to be more holy than he already is, but rather it's an acknowledgement that he is more holy than we've imagined. That, that he is more holy than we thought prior. And so this is a prayer that our eyes would see him as he is more clearly. And so for our prayers at the very beginning, before we get to all of our needs, at the very beginning to be infused with large thoughts of, of our majestic God. And if we do just that, I mean just that, then that is worship right there. It's been said that it's a mark of the worldliness of our, pray, of our prayer lives that we're far too little occupied with God when we pray. And so lacking the fear and the awe of God, we rush into the, the help me, help me, Lord, without pausing to reflect on the character of the God in whom we are addressing. And in so doing, we're like Elvis, right, who's saying we're, we're doing the, the fool's rush in where angels fear to tread, right? Every time when we pray. You know, scripture reminds us again and again that the fear of the Lord, that this appropriate understanding of who God is and then who we are in comparison, that that is the beginning of wisdom. That that is the basis of all reality. And so we're learning that that, that, that understanding is, is the base of prayer. 
That's where our understanding comes. That's where prayer flows. And so to hallow means to acknowledge God as ultimate. That when it comes to him, when we're stepping into something totally, completely other than. As Peter said, it is, it is to set Christ apart, to hallow Christ as, as Lord. Not everything is Lord, but Christ is Lord. And so when we come to, to God in prayer, uh, when we come to him in worship, like we are right now, it's to know that we're not at a football game, and we're not at a TED Talk, and we're not at a concert, and we're not at a, you know, one of those yoga mindfulness retreats. But we're involved in something totally other than. To hallow means to, to make his name prized. It's to revel in, take joy in, rest in his steadfast loving kindness, his name, his character. So this past week, my parents were on this whirlwind uh, trip, tour of, of Yellowstone, the Grand Tetons, Jackson Hole, Cody, Wyoming. They just did this whole thing. Like, and, and my mom, said, she sent me enough videos uh, to make like Ken Burns look like a minimalist, okay? Uh, it's like National Geographic documentary length videos that I have not, I, I watched like three of them, I'm like, I can't do this all week. Um, sorry, Mom. And it, it, look, in every, but in every video, it's my mom, and she's kind of talking in the background, but it's, it, she's setting apart the national parks as totally other. Like, these are just, oh, it's so amazing. Look at that bald eagle. Right? And look at the, those mountains. Aren't they beautiful? Look at the Snake River. Look, there's this old clock in the old Fateful Inn that's just, oh, it's beautiful. Look at, here's, a dad, here's a video of Dad running to catch a glimpse of that moose we just saw. He's running. See him out there? Um, here's the, the Cody Cattle Company. Here's our hotel room. Look at the majesty of the, you know, the old Fateful Geyser. And, and again, I, I haven't finished watching all these videos but in every one, she's highlighting the total otherness. I mean, it's like she's a child again. She's setting apart the beauty of, of nature. Because it ain't like that around here, right? Um, it's as if she's saying with Stevie Wonder, like, isn't it lovely? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it precious? Okay. Well, if, if rocks and trees and for some reason this really old clock in the old Fateful Inn can be so set apart then how much more so is God, who in the Hebrew, we, we, we learn of him as Elohim, the, the creator God, how much more so is he, the one who made the rocks and the trees and the bald eagles set apart? And so Jesus, is, he's really teaching us about true worship, that it begins just like true prayer, understanding with this acknowledgement that God is preeminent and that God is on the throne of our hearts and before we get to any of our needs, we're finding that like, if we just have God, then we're good. Like, we don't, like, we're good if we just have this hallowed God. So the fact that God is hallowed means that, well, again, there's a difference. That he is creator, we are creatures. I know we, we, this is obvious. But since he is creator... This means that he's not just any old philosopher or some podcaster that's given us, you know, kind of pop psychology and life tips. No, as creator, his word and his way have the final say, which means we can't fashion a God after our own desires and our own wishes. 
And so to hallow God is to demolish the humanist notion that we each live with our own truths, and it's to live our lives and our circumstances out in light of the God of all truth. And so God is God, which means we bow to him, not the other way around. And this isn't a new concept because, look, whether we know it or not, we all hallow something. You know, we could each, you could probably talk to me for five minutes and know what I hallow. I could do the same for you because we talk about, we pray about what we hallow. And, you know, what we hallow is typically what we place our trust in, which may explain, at least in part, why most of us, and myself included, various times, can live with so much anxiety in life. Um, Because often what we hallow uh, isn't truly hallowed, right? Tim Keller said, our prayer lives are mirrors to our souls, that they show us what we really hallow. Our our prayers betray us. They show us what we really trust in. And I mean, if you want to see the reality of nominal Christianity in America, so I've been told and I've witnessed that churches far and wide, like churches will have these, will set up these special times of prayer, you know, uh, very specific times to, to come and just be still, to exalt God and to confess all the amazing things and be thankful for the things that he has done. And often, very few people show up to that, that type of thing. And yet churches will have you know, prayer services for failing crops, for ailing pets, for blessings of backpacks, for struggling sports teams. And people come out of the woodwork for that. Because we love praying and we love reveling in what we hallow, right? So to hallow the Lord, and I know I use this phrase a lot, but this really is what it is to be a Christian. To hallow the Lord is to make like a punk rock, bold countercultural declaration that our hope and our trust is not in silver or gold. That it's not in having a happy or healthy life. That it it is not, or it is only entrusting the truly trustworthy one. And so it's what Misha read this morning. It's to declare with David in Psalm 20. You know, some people trust in chariots. A lot of people trust in chariots and horses. Some people trust in chariots, some in horses. But we, we trust in the name, in the character of the Lord our God. You know, today we live uh, in a culture extremely similar to that of ancient Babel, uh, you know, we want to be noticed, right? We, we want to do something to kind of set our names, set ourselves apart, to go viral, to be light. We want to make our names great. You know, we want to peacock just a little bit, right? But to pray, God, hallowed be your name, is to declare with the psalmist, it's not, it's not to me, it's not to us, but to you, O Lord, to your name be the glory. The Westminster Divines, and they really did nail it when they asked, when they started off with that first question, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate, what is the highest goal that you could achieve as a human? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking for, well, ourselves, we're asking for our community, we're asking for the whole world to acknowledge and to know that God is holy, okay? But what's more, what's really amazing is this isn't just this theological construct that we just kind of think about sometimes. 
hallowing God's name, actually, it affects our lives. It invades our lives and affects us. Uh, which brings us to our second, final point. Like, what does this even matter? What, what is this? So uh, currently, I'm serving on our, the candidates committee for our presbytery, uh, which is uh, this committee that interviews people who, um, well, interviews overseas candidates for the gospel ministry. At least in our denomination, if you feel like the Lord is calling you into pastoral ministry, at some point, you're going to interact with the committee that I'm on. And so last week we met this guy who had this like wild testimony of faith, and in, in talking about hallowing what that means, the otherness of God, uh, I wanted to share it with y'all. But 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 first, before we, we get to that, um, there can be this sense in church that the way the Lord works is kind of sanitized, it's programmed. We we we've got it figured out, right? That if you you, you say this prayer and you take these steps and you do these things then you're in. And we can look, there's, there's no mystery to the gospel anymore. We got, we got it programmed. And, and yet here, we see that if God is hallowed, if he is other than, that means that our God is not programmable, right? That he doesn't fit into any of our little attempts. So one of the main things his hallowed nature does is it actually reveals our sin in a very real way, and it woos us to repentance. So this hallowed nature of God is an invasion to our soul. As Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> Which means when we first come into contact with God, it may not be, it's not going to be feelings of rainbows and unicorns necessarily. You know, we, we, we talk about wanting to be near God, and I wish God could just be here with us right here in this place. And he is spiritually but do you remember what happened when David returned the Ark of the Covenant back to the people? All this time it's been gone. David finally brings it back. Y'all remember what happened? <laughs> when the people of God had the chance to be near God, they didn't want to be near him anymore. <laughs> they, they begged that the Ark would actually be taken out of town because God was too close. And God was, it, it was just, his holiness was too much. The hallowed God crushes us into humble repentance um, Y'all know that there are you know, some kind of church cultures that, I mean, not to, just the whole vibe of the service is just so cocky, you know? You know? It, it'll be the person or the band up front and be like, welcome to the Lord's house, let's go guys, come on, aren't we so glad to be here? It's so, so yeah, it's cocky, it's, it's a little arrogant. And yet we see any time in the Bible, anybody who's actually ever been in the, the actual presence of the Lord, they're undone. There's no cockiness. You know, before the Lord, Isaiah said, woe, woe is me. Remember Peter, the great apostle Peter, when he, when this happened to him, he said, get away from me, Lord. I, I can't, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And even John, you know, as a, sa like a saved apostle, old man John, in Revelation, when he was given a vision of Jesus, like he fell at his feet as though dead. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. God's hallowedness, no matter how holy we think we are, it reveals our utter need of rescue to even be with him. And so here's where God's greatness and, and God's hallowedness explodes to a whole other level because God wasn't content to just stay alone in his otherness, holiness. 
But by his grace in Jesus, his greatness came down to us and his saving power knows no bounds. You you can't tame it. All right, so back to the the pastor. Um, You know, sometimes you hear things, you just don't, what do we do? (laughs) What do we do with this? Uh, So this potential pastor we interviewed, he lived a life of, I mean, debauchery, no inkling of God, no desire for God. Uh, he, he loved his life of, of you know, sex, drugs, really just whatever he wanted. In fact, he loved it so much that he got to the point to where he just slept and basically lived where he worked because he would get paid and he would go out on the weekend, he would blow all of his money on his you know, debauchery and not have enough money to even get home. And so he would just go back to work and he secretly lived at work living off of office snacks for like a couple of years. And uh, one night... While he was at, at work but trying to kind of sleep, he had a dream um, that ultimately drew him to God's Word. And so in the dream, he was up in a tree, and for some reason all these people were coming up to this tree trying to get him to come down, and he had an AR-15, and he was shooting, so all the people would just leave him alone. Like, I just want to stay in this tree. But he said, then this man rolled up in a mid-1980s blue Chevy truck. This man rolled up, and he opened the driver's side door, and he said, Joey, come down and go home. And he said, in the dream, he he didn't know why, but something made him want to come down and get in the truck with that guy. And so he climbed down out of the tree, went to the passenger door, he went to open, you know, the push buttons, remember those mid-80 trucks. He tried to open the door, uh, but it was locked. And the man in the truck said, where I'm going, you can't go. But if you seek me, you will find me. And and now, again, he had like no Bible knowledge. No Bible knowledge. It it wouldn't be until later that he realized that the the parallels between his dream and what happened with Jesus in Zacchaeus and some other things that Jesus said in Scripture. He didn't know why, but he, he woke from that dream sober. He couldn't get it off his mind, and so he ended up quitting his job, and he moved back home. He came back to Mississippi. And a lot of other things happened, but, but one day, he, was, he still wasn't a believer yet, but he was just stirred up. He was just angsty. And he said, okay, I, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll listen to some gospel music, see if it'll kind of calm me down. And he didn't, even, he didn't even know the first Christian artist, so he just asked Google to, like, like Google, play a Christian song or gospel song. And the song that came on was Dry Bones by Lauren Daigle. And um, if y'all know the song, here's how the song starts. Through the eyes of men, it seems there's so much we have lost. And so we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked. One by one, the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. And then the chorus comes in, call out to Dry Bones, come alive, come alive. And he thought, that's kind of an interesting song because that's how I feel. Like, I feel dead. I feel dry. I'm just dry bones. And he he didn't know that was scripture. And so he just thought Lauren Daigle wrote a good song. And so he, you know, Googled, like, what's going on with this song? He found out that it was taken from Ezekiel 37 in the valley of dry bones, which the Lord restored. And so he said, I'm going to read that. And so as he read Ezekiel 37, he said he read that chapter unlike he'd read anything else before. In fact, he said that that chapter was reading him. And it, as he saw 
like his deadness. There was something about that valley of just death and hopelessness that he's like, that's me. And as he saw the deadness, and then yet he saw that there was this God who, who came, this hallowed God that came in, and despite the deadness and the brokenness, that he breathed new life. He reached down, breathing life into the dead and hopeless. He said that by the time he was done with Ezekiel 37, <laughs> the Lord had humbled him, had called him, had saved him, redeemed him. Uh, he was a believer. He started reading Ezekiel 37, wasn't a believer. By the time he was done, he believed. So God's holiness reveals our sin so that his grace can be applied there, right? Not to like good version of you, church closed version, but like ugly side you. Um, Y'all know recently the once golden boy of Mississippi uh, has become public enemy number one, like in the nation, right? Um, Some pretty damning text messages were uncovered involving Brett Favre and the misuse of state welfare funds. Of course, we've been following this a a long time, right? Um, But it's now hitting the, you know, the sports radio. And like literally, it's the opposite of Robin Hood. It's literally, you know, robbing, stealing from the poorest of the poor to benefit the rich. And look, I don't have any social or or political commentary on, on that other than, wow. You know, given the vitriol people have for Brett Favre, what an opportunity, I mean, to truly see the offensive yet amazing grace with which God loves his people. Because, I mean, Brett Favre's done, right? I mean, he will never be in another advertisement. He's done. He's, he's done for life. But remember in the gospel, there was another person who was taxing the poor, arguably stealing from the poor to benefit the rich. Uh, his name was Matthew, remember? And as much as people hate Brett Favre now, uh, the world hated Matthew. And yet, do you know what Jesus did? Jesus went to that scum of the earth that, that he is canceled for the rest of his life, Matthew. And by grace, said, follow me. What's Mr. In light of God's perfect holiness, his, his hallowedness, like we all stand damned. Right? And not only are text messages uncovered, good night, like way worse than that. Like our sins, our rejections, our hatreds of God has been uncovered, and yet because of Jesus, God's hallowedness intervened, and it, he who was not sin <laughs> became sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus said in John that his whole purpose of coming to earth was to glorify the Father's name. That's why he was here. And on the cross, that's what he did. And so, like, really, what a better way to see God's glory on display in 5K than in the infinitely holy God, hallowed God, redeeming his sinful people. See, because of the cross, our uncovered sins and all those things, that the shame, the condemnation that we, that we experience throughout life, all that is, which is laid bare is now covered by the blood of Christ. And we who were cosmically canceled are now brought back in. And in Jesus, God looks at us, thieves, rebels, sinners, 
And he has the audacity to call us a saint. (laughs) And then just like Matthew, he invites us to follow him. Man, I hope that, that we see that that offensive, jarring news, like that is the good news. That the great holy God is also the gracious, redeeming God. Scripture says that salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name given, or no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. And so, may we honor that name. May we hallow that name, which this ties into the third commandment. We're not even going to talk about this, but it's obvious. If we're in Jesus, we are those who, in response to God's great love, like we don't dare cheapen his name with mere OMG moments, right? And we, we, we can do other stuff, but we don't go there. God's name is hallowed. He's ultimate. Like his name demolishes kings and kingdoms. And we got, like, we're like Brent Favre whom the king of glory has called forgiven and loved. And talk about mind-blowing, right? Talk about all the more reason to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Let me pray for us. Father, may you forgive me uh, for for years and years, Sometimes just coming to church thinking like, I'm just going to worship. But Lord, continue to capture my heart, capture all of our hearts with the complete otherness of you. Lord, remind us of the beauty of the gospel. Lord, that is deep and as ugly and as nasty as we think that we are. Um, Or the reality is, is that we're worse than that. But the reality is also that you come, and though our sins are great, your grace is even greater. Lord, may we rest not in what we think of ourselves or what others think of ourselves, but what you say of us in Jesus, Um, that we are beloved saints. So, Father, thank you for your grace, and may we respond to it by hallowing, beholding and hallowing your name. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.